0: Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. Um, I'm Brandon Barrett, those of you who don't know me. You picked a heck of a week to come visit, and we're <laughs> we glad that you are with us. Um, in fact, if you're visiting, uh, may- maybe you did pick a good week uh, to come visit us, uh, because you get to see a family together. And that's what this church is, and that is what this church has been to me and my family. Uh, I'm not good at saying goodbye. I found that that was also not covered in any of my seminary classes. But in my experience here, y'all have exposed me to many things that were not covered in my seminary classes. (laughs) So that might be fitting. Um, I'd be remiss this morning if I didn't quote the Lord of the Rings at some point. Um, There's a scene in the first movie and in the book where um, Bilbo's having a birthday party and uh, he gets up to give a speech unbeknownst to everyone there that he's saying goodbye And uh, in his speech he says something like you know i probably don't appreciate half of you as much as I should and I like less than half of you more than he sort of gave this kind of rambling speech Um, and then he said and this is the end and he put on this ring and he just disappeared and there have been times in the past couple weeks I've been kinda wishing I had a ring like that but of course that wouldn't be right to just disappear, and unlike Bilbo, uh, who is a little bit ambivalent with his friends and fellow hobbits, uh, I love you all, and uh, I'm going to miss you all. This isn't supposed to go this way, this is not a graduation speech, and (laughs) this is a sermon. So we're going to do today what we have uh, tried to do my entire tenure here, and it is absolutely nothing novel at all. It is what all pastors attempt to do when we come to this point in the service. It's to come to God's Word, to come to Him for wisdom, for strength, for all that we need, to come to Jesus. So we're going to do that now. Let me pray for us, and we'll come to our text. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, <clears throat> for being here today. We thank you that we do get to be here as a family, and we welcome your presence here. You've manifested it to us. Um, you've given us the privilege of confessing our sins and hearing your gracious word of forgiveness, <clears throat> Given us the privilege of singing your praises, which none of us in here is qualified to do. And yet, in your grace, you open the doors wide and invite us to lift up our voices faltering though they may be, because You are good and You have done all that is needed for us to come and sing with joy. And You call us now to Your Word. So we pray that You would uh, give us open eyes and open ears, a heart that is receptive and soft towards You. Meet us, for You are the one that we need. You are our Good Shepherd. We look to You, Jesus. Amen. Text this morning is in Second Corinthians, starting at chapter five, verse eleven, and we'll be going through the first two verses of chapter six. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page nine hundred and sixty-six, and we're here right at the end of a, a short series we've been doing for about the past six weeks. Uh, and this series we've been it was called, and we've been talking about the trusting the sufficiency of God because so much of these first chapters of Second Corinthians is about that very thing, about trusting a God who is su- sufficient, who is uh, sufficient to care for us, who is sufficient to save us, who is sufficient to give us all that we need for everything that he brings our way. And I thought that and hoped and prayed that that would be a good way for, uh, for us to, f- to finish this part of our journey together being reminded again of the sufficiency of God. As I've said, uh, I and my family will need to be reminded of this often in the days and weeks and years to come. Um, and, and you all will certainly need to be reminded of it in the weeks to come as well. Um, but but I'm, 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 I'm very aware as I leave that, um, that you know that already, that God is sufficient for you here, and that he will take care of you as you step into this next season of this church's life. And in some ways it's going to be fairly seamless because God has raised up leaders in this church and you as a family in this church uh, and brought us as a church and continued just uh, putting us in, a, in many ways in a very healthy place. God is good. He has shown us that through and through and again and again. And, uh, We're all going to wake up tomorrow and remember that. And you're going to gather next Sunday. And you will be reminded of that, that he is good, that he is our good shepherd. And he is here, as he has always been, right at the very helm of this church and this family. Um, And isn't it good that we can rest in him, uh, that he is our good shepherd? Well, as we speak about the sufficiency of God, we're going to talk this morning just briefly about the fact that he is sufficient in, in making us new that there is a newness that he brings us into in Christ. So uh, read along with me as we read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 6, chapter 6, verse 2. Paul jumps in here again, and if you've been here the last number of weeks, you know and he's, m- much of what he's been doing is defending himself about, against critics that have uh, come in and spoken against his ministry, and that, that's what's going on in the first part here, but here we go. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. We speak about trusting the sufficiency of God; He is sufficient to make to make our lives new. We're going to see that here, and and as we talk about it, we're going to kind of go in in reverse order from the passage. We're going to look at uh, surprisingly three things. First, The foundation of the new creation. Secondly, the reality of the new creation. And finally, thirdly, the freedom of the new creation. We're talking about new creation. First, foundation, new creation. Look with me again at verses 18 through 21, right towards the end of the passage. Um, There are uh, two different verses in this passage uh verse 21 being one of them and then the earlier verse in 17 about new creations that that are are some of the most w- well-known and in many ways some of the most significant verses in in all of scripture um, and I, I i feel like saying that about our text most weeks w- when i've had time to be in it but, but these these really are foundational of incredible importance and here in verses 18 through 21 culminating in 21 we we see the the foundation of what Paul's going to go on to say about this new creation that we are in Christ. He says the foundation that he lays here is one in which Christ has taken us from being enemies of God to being friends of God. One in which God has taken us in our sin and our alienation and our distance from God. And through the blood, the death and resurrection of Christ, He has taken us out of the penalty of our sin and brought us now into the very favor of God. And what these verses talk about is what uh, is often referred to as the, um, the substitutionary atonement. That Christ has died for us. That our sin uh, needed, had to be, must be punished in the view of a just and righteous God. But that in God's mercy and grace, He took that punishment and gave it not to us, the ones who deserve it, but He laid it instead on the only shoulders in the universe that could really bear that and come through on the other end. That for us, putting our faith in Christ, He has put the weight of that on Jesus' shoulders who died the death that we deserved in order that He might give us the life that He deserved. Look just again at verse 21. For our sake, uh, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The foundation of the new creation, it begins with God's initiation. In verse 18, Paul had said, you know, all this is from God. Who took the first step? In Scripture, God took the first step. He creates us. He makes us as people in His image. Who took the second step? We did. We turned away. as Adam and Eve take what God had given them and they turn their backs on Him and plunge themselves and us into alienation from God, into ruin. As we've said many times, that was not the end of the story. But what happens next? God takes another step, a step that Paul describes here. God comes and initiates with us. He comes towards us in Christ. There is this incredible break in relationship. You see that Paul speaks throughout this section about, uh, about reconciliation. That there are two parties who are now, there is this incredible break between them. And if there is going to be relationship, that break must be healed. Now, we've all experienced that, I would imagine, in varying degrees, maybe with people that we have known. Some of us have experienced that kind of break in relationship, maybe with members of your own family, maybe with uh, close friends, I mean, at the very least with your third-grade girlfriend, right? Um, we know what it's like to, to have a relationship that falls apart. And, and maybe, by God's goodness and graciousness, you've also tasted at times the work of God as he's come and and put a relationship like that back together again. But likely there, there may well be some relationships for you where you still feel that tension, where there is no longer a relationship, where there's nothing to be said, and there seems no way to cross the divide, and maybe no real desire to cross the divide either. But you see, what Paul is bringing in front of our eyes is that is the kind of break and divide that stood between us and God. And if there was going to be reconciliation, if there was going to be a relationship again, then someone must do the reconciling. And Paul is telling us that God, the offended party, took the step towards us. How many times in our own breaks with others have we thought, you know, well, they started this. Here's what they said. Here's what they did. Of course I'm open to forgiveness and reconciliation as soon as they come to me. Right? God did not say that to us. And if he had, we would not know him because we would have never turned and made the first move. Scripture uses very graphic language. We were dead in our sins. We were in utter darkness. Paul reminds us here what happened. That that God was not content to let that remain the case. But he moved towards us. He came towards us to reconcile. He initiates because he has a heart to reconcile. Because he had a heart to come and love a lost and fallen world. He had a heart to come and do all that it took to bring us forgiveness. We said in verse 21, it speaks of Christ standing in our place. He who knew no sin becoming sin for us. It's like what Paul speaks of elsewhere. Romans 5, 8, he, he says it this way, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul goes a, a, a step further even here where he says, Christ who knew no sin. Now, w- we have a lot of trouble imagining what that is like. Um, either to see that in someone else who knew no sin, or certainly maybe as we examine ourselves, what, what would life be like? To be washed clean like that, so that not only are we, not only is the penalty of sin taken away, which it is for us in Christ, but to not even be able to imagine what it's like to sin, we will taste that one day. But we haven't tasted the, full, tasted the fullness of it yet. Said so that Christ had never sinned; he knew no sin. It was no part of his being. In other words, death, which is the penalty for sin in Scripture, had no hold on him. He did not have to submit himself to it. But Christ, who knew no sin, put aside his rights, put aside all that he deserved as the sinless one, and, as Paul says so graphically, not just took our sin on us. He goes one step forward. He said it's, he became sin for us. That's how closely he identified with it, as he took ours on himself so that we would not feel it, so that we would not suffer the punishment of it. Martin Luther referred to this. And I think he used these words, if not, uh, theologians since then have pointed back to Luther to use these words of the great exchange. That all that we had, our sin, is given to Christ. And all that he has, his righteousness, is given to us. You see, as Paul says here, him taking our sin, becoming sin, wasn't the end of the road. What does he say next? That we might become the very righteousness of God. That we might receive all of the beauty of who Christ is. That when God sees us, He might see us in that kind of radiant beauty. That Christ became sin and we take on the very righteousness of God. See, for God to forgive us, this was not an impersonal exchange. Though it is the great exchange. It is intensely personal. God, our personal God, not a force in the sky, but our creator. And here our redeemer. As he's revealed to us in Scripture, our Father, who comes towards us, he is airing and leaves for themselves, and they hide in the woods when God comes to walk through the garden. Why? Because shame has entered their life. There's a break between us and God, and they know they cannot stand in his presence. You see, when he says that our reconciliation is made this complete, he's saying there is no more shame. It means that we do not have to call before our eyes, out of the hard drive of our minds, the endless list of all that we know about ourselves and all that we have done. God knows that list, and he has forgiven it. There is to be no more shame. Don't have to hide anymore. You know, one of the ways that we actually try to show that graphically is, one of the things we say in, at the end of service is to look up and receive God's benediction. Because we can lift our eyes to God. Because God's face in Christ shines on us. And we don't have to hide anymore. No more shame. See, this last section of the passage talks about the foundation of new creation. What Christ has done for us to make new creation possible. He goes on, talks about the reality of new creation. Verses 16 and 17 of chapter 5. Let me read those again. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. In other words, Paul's saying, you know, we don't, we no longer do we just sort of have our our human and limited understanding of the world and those eyes on when uh, when we look at other people. God's opened us up to see there's something new, true. For Paul who said, you know, we once looked at Christ that way. Paul would have said, you know, I once looked at Christ as one who, Deserve God's wrath, who is leading people astray, but I've been given new eyes. I've seen who Christ is as He's revealed Himself to me. He says, we no longer regard even each other according to the flesh. But verse um, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Some of you, if you're using the King James Version, for example, might say that, you know, uh, behold, uh, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Probably a better translation is the one you'd have here in the ESV or the NIV or others that says a a new creation. It's not just that you've been made individually into some sort of new whole unit of a creation. What he's saying is that if anyone is in Christ, he's been brought into new creation, all of what God is doing is He is making things new. He, 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 you've been revived. You've been brought to life in many ways in the, for the very first time as you are made alive to God. As you've come into His family, become a part of His purposes. Become a part of the great story He is telling in Scripture. Of mankind lost, though found by Christ, and one day Christ coming home to us. He said, you've been brought into all of that. Ephesians talks about Christ coming to reconcile the entire universe. Paul is saying, you are brought into the incredible scope of all that God is doing. You're a part of this new creation. He says, as clearly as he possibly could, the old has gone, the new has come. Now, one of the things that we say often, because the Bible says it often, and we must always hold this to be true we taste this now, but we will not know the fullness of it until Christ returns. We say that a lot, and it is true. But this morning, I want us to look at it from the other end of the telescope. At the end of Scripture, we see a picture, even in Revelation, of all of this made complete. And when Paul speaks about new creation now, what he is saying is that all that is going to come in its fullness is even now, it's penetrating back through time to this very moment. All that is coming is forcing itself towards us even now. It's as if the fullness of all that God has for us is rushing towards our lives right now. And everything that we taste and experience of Christ right now is actually the foreshadowing of what is coming next. But, but Scripture speaks of all that is there, not simply being there, waiting for us someday and we'll get there, but it is coming like a train coming down the track at full speed straight for us now. You see, all that we experience of Christ now is new creation breaking into our lives right now. So it is true that the fullness of that is coming one day, but I think maybe what we need to hear this morning is that our tastes of that right now are real tastes. That Christ says to us right now, right now you are new creation. You are fully in God's favor. You have received all the benefits of His forgiving death for you. He has put His Spirit in you if you are in Christ, and you are alive now in a way that you never were before. You were old creation, and now you are new. This very moment, there's a decisive change that has happened in your life. You've been pulled out of a world that is alienated from God and brought into a new one, into God's family, into the work of God, into the stream of what He is doing in history. Brothers and sisters, right now, this morning, you and I are new creation. We need to remember... That. That God is at work right now. And He has us right now. See, what He has done for us on the cross is the foundation for new creation. We see here the reality of it. But finally, what does that reality mean for us? It, it leads us into freedom, the, the freedom of the new creation. Look with me at verses uh, 14 and 15. As Paul speaks of his present experience as new creation. He says, for the love of Christ controls us, compels us. Because we have concluded that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. What Paul is saying is one handle on how to understand what it means to be new creation. Is The old is gone and the new has come we have been now been ushered into a life where we are no longer to be living for self. Where we have been freed from the chains that hold us to a life that is no bigger than the six inches right around the area where we happen to be standing. It's freed us from a life of perpetual gazing into the mirror to a life that is big and wide and beautiful as He calls us out beyond ourselves into His purposes in the world, in the world into what He is doing in the world. It is not as though ourselves don't matter anymore. Instead, it is as though God is saying, look, you are mine, you are a new creation. I've got you covered. It's going to be okay. I have your back. I have you. And I want you to be freed from your addictive enslavement to thinking continually that all of life is about you. He wants me to be free from my addictive enslavement to thinking that all of life is about me. You You see, he says that new creation brings us into these purposes of God and now focuses us, sends us outward towards God and towards those around us. That it is no longer... About us that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. See, as we've been brought into Christ, as we have a new Lord, as we have a new captain, as we have a new king in our lives, our lives are now to be spent following and serving Him. And that means um, that we can have new perspective on life when things are going very badly because your life is bigger than your difficult circumstances and because God has you in the midst of those difficult circumstances and in some mysterious way he is even using those to accomplish his purposes in your life and in the world around you. You are no longer floating free in the universe at the whim of chance. God has you in his hands and he will do all that he means to do. It also means that we are freed to have a new perspective when things go well. Because we can say thank you. Because we know that even in the midst of those what feel like the tangible blessings of life, that Christ is at work there too. And in those times of life where he is showering those on us, we can know that those are not simply for our use either, but he means those to come and flow through us to a world around us as well. That we are meant... To give all that he gives to us in service and love to him and to those around us. It gives us a new perspective there. You see that this gives life meaning for us whatever the circumstances of your life. If this part clicks... I have now been freed from my addiction to myself and I have now been freed to live life in service of Christ. That is what my life is about before any other thing. Then you see what that might give you, the resources that might give you. Let's just take this. In a a difficult or maybe unsatisfying, unrewarding job, take something as mundane as that. Or maybe you're not appreciated, where maybe your gifts are not being used. Or maybe it's not where you thought you'd be at this time in life. Where does that bring the strength? My life is not about this. This is a piece of what God has called me to. But my life is about Christ. And if Christ wants me serving here, then he, can, he must know what he is doing. And I can trust him because he has me. Because God is my father. In the midst of a difficult marriage. In the midst of uh, difficult relationships with children. Or with parents. Or with friends. You see, all of life now, lived in light of this, the freedom of new creation, as our eyes can now come off of ourselves and to Christ, and as we can say with biblical integrity, wherever God has me now, God has me now. And He will show up. He will give me all that I need and he will do all that he needs to to accomplish his purposes, and that is okay, because my life is Christ, because my life belongs to Christ. When God brings us to himself, he brings us into something that is new, and we're people that easily forget that. We forget the magnitude of what it is that Christ has done to lay the foundation for this newness. We forget that it's really true for us now. Not just later, but now. He says, you have been made new now. The old is gone. The new has come. Christ is in you. He is alive and at work in you. And we forget this is meant to bring us freedom. The freedom to let go of our um, Gripping the steering wheel of our lives so hard that we can just see our knuckles becoming white. so our hands lock on there, because we live in an out-of-control universe. We're reminded again that Christ has us. And we can have our eyes on Him. Because He is the source of life in this new creation. You see, this passage ends with an exhortation to us. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. He's calling back on Old Testament passages to say this, God speaks to us today. This is his call to us today. To listen now. To listen this morning. To grab a hold again. What it means to be new creation to look to Jesus again where we so desperately need Him. Maybe for some of us to look to Him for the first time and to taste what it means to become new. God is sufficient for us. We can trust Him. He's reminded us of that again and again these last few weeks through these first few chapters of 2 Corinthians. And this is good news because you need God to be sufficient for you. This is good news for me because I need God to be sufficient for me. Let us remember together again this morning as a family that that's not just wishful thinking, that it's true, that he is. He is all that we need. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.